0: Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 on page 458 in the Black Pew Bible. Today we conclude our summer study in the Psalms. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start a study of the good news according to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. If you're visiting with us today again, I want to say we're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. At Redeemer, we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, beneficial, helpful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So every week at Redeemer, we seek to read, mark, inwardly digest the Scripture. This morning, our psalm is about being loved by and cared for by Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, this is a shepherd's psalm, and we need confidence in his care of us because life is full of surprises and challenges that rattle us, right? Leaving home, finding a job, moving to school, getting married... Gaining new friends, letting go of children as they reach adulthood, suffering health problems or money troubles. I mean, there's a lot of things that can give you anxiety. I uh, suppose everybody has a roommate story somewhere, some shape or form. My roommate, my freshman year of college, was a potluck roommate. We didn't know each other. He and I were uh, pretty dramatically different. I went to college from a non-Christian background as a a non-believer up until about a month before I went to college. He had been raised in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. He had been taught by parents who, when they met me, were super excited because I was a Christian. My parents were not unexcited about him, but my my dad didn't care at all about Jesus. That wasn't on his radar screen. I had just become a Christian. I was eager to uh, read the Bible for the first time in my life. I was going to church to worship for the first time, not because I was being dragged there by somebody else, but because I actually thought Jesus was worthy, and uh, he fascinated me, he had loved me, so I wanted to be there. I had uh, begun to adore Jesus, but I was pretty spiritually ignorant and very spiritually immature, whereas Chris, my roommate... Uh, having been raised in the faith, he knew the Bible seemingly backward and forward, and had every answer for every question. But he had come to college to go the exact opposite direction. He uh, hung out with a friend who was uh, smoking dope. He—this um, will date me—but he—they got a, a color copier in the early days that you could actually get a personal color copier, so they could make fake IDs, IDs for. Uh, all their friends and such. He was reading Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. There is such a thing. I don't commend it to you. And, uh, And he was something of a pyromaniac. Now, I have my quirks, too. His quirk was fire. One day, I was sitting at my desk, and I heard a loud swoosh. And I turned around with curiosity to see what was going on, and he had poured rubber cement down the middle of the room and lit it on fire. The flames were like two feet high, and he was trying to beat it back with a towel. Not too successfully, but he did get it under control. One time he painted rubber cement on the wall. I I suppose when he lit it on fire, he thought the flame would come out, but of course the flame climbed the wall. There were a a number of (laughs) anxiety-producing events uh, in the course of our time together. I had many an anxious Thought. Well, I don't know if your roommate's the cause of that, and if you're sitting next to each other today, I apologize if I've made one of you uncomfortable. Look, we all have fears. We fear getting lost in a crowd. We fear perhaps failing at academics. Uh, we, have, we all have social insecurities. Nobody walked into this room with, uh, with all the security in the world everybody walked into this room wondering who would I talk to, who would talk to me do I fit here, do I belong here will people be nice to me here how will I get along in this place Uh, Christians have particular kinds of fears, Christians wonder will I fall away from Jesus will my faith get rattled, will I blow it as a Christian and will I ruin forever God's kindness to me Well, you will make mistakes and you will disappoint yourself and others will disappoint you. And you may wonder, does Jesus keep caring for me? Every day you will prove yourself to be a sheep. What you need is a shepherd who cares for you. And that's what Psalm 23 is about. Let's think about this shepherd's care. Let me invite you to hear the word of God. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you gave your son to be the shepherd of our souls. So we ask that you would shepherd us now. Encourage us, speak to us, comfort us, help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to see three things in this passage. I want you to see in the first place the humility of the shepherd who cares for us. That's the first phrase of verse 1. And then I want you to see the confidence His care creates in us. That's the end of verse 1. And then in verses 2 through 6, I want you to see the blessings His care guarantees to us. So in the first place... The humility of the shepherd who cares for us. Notice this startling declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice particularly his humility. This is Yahweh. This is the God of Israel. This is the Lord God who made the stars by simply speaking them into existence. The Bible says he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He's the creator. We're the creature. And yet he condescends to shepherd us. And think about what shepherds do. Shepherds do a dirty, nasty, frustrating, unending work in in even the worst possible circumstances you know uh, perhaps that in israel as in other ancient societies a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all the works if a family needed a shepherd it was the youngest child they sent out to watch over the sheep to live with the sheep 24 hours a day to make sh- to make sure that they got to water and got to grass and were protected from animals whether day or night summer or winter fair weather or foul they labored for the sheep as Jim Boyce says who in their right mind would choose to be a shepherd and yet God chooses to identify himself as a shepherd and actually do the work of a shepherd for us you know that Jesus said I am the good shepherd I know my own my own know me just the father knows me I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep think of the humility of that years and years and years ago now when he was little so I can embarrass him by saying my son Joshua Joshua he must have been five or six said maybe even younger said is what God did for us like uh like one of us becoming a mosquito and as a dad i kind of puzzled over that what and he said oh never mind never mind and i said no no no, what do you mean he said well you 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 mean i said you mean the incarnation he said yeah and i said yeah that's exactly right but it's even much more than that i mean c.s lewis had the image of It would be like God becoming an ant to run among the ants. This is an extraordinary act of humility, of condescension on his part, that he, the shepherd, should actually walk among the sheep. And then, the Bible says, as you know in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's tremendous humility here. On the part of the God of the universe. Let me then ask you, is he your shepherd? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd? Not, not just that the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd or their shepherd or even our shepherd. But, but do you say in your heart of hearts, the Lord is my shepherd? This is very personal. There's no use talking about going on a maturity in the Christian faith if your faith is not in this shepherd, but in yourself, not in what he does for you, but rather in your doing something for him. No, no. Every day we prove we're sheep. We need a shepherd. Is he yours? That's the first thing. Notice his humility. But second, notice the confidence his care creates the confidence. What follows that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd? What follows is, I shall not want. This is an irrefutable deduction from the first statement. If the Lord is my shepherd, then inevitably we must say, I shall not want. Now, I realize want sounds like uh, desire, like I want something, I desires for something, not the way it's being used here the psalmist isn't like a stoic he isn't saying i will i have no desires or i have no interests or have no loves no no no. want as in lack right for want of a nail the shoe was lost for want of a shoe the horse was lost for want of a horse the rider was lost and for want of a rider the battle was lost for want of or lack of and he says i i lack nothing i will lack No good thing that he deems wise and good for me. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They aren't able to provide for themselves. But here, as Matthew Henry puts it, I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fit or wise for me or not good for me or I shall have it in due time. I mean, this statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is an Old Testament way of reciting the gospel of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Romans 8 is in many ways the apex of the book of Romans, which is in many ways the apex of the high theology of Jesus Christ and salvation. And Romans eight thirty-one and 32 says... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, the logic of the gospel is, if God the Father did not hold back giving you his own beloved unique son then he isn't hiding anything else good for you, wise for you, that you really need. He isn't holding it behind his back playing games with you about these things. No! If he gave Jesus for me, anything else I need is a lesser good and he's not keeping it away. But There are times when it isn't wise for me to have. There may be things that aren't good for me to have. And he knows the best time on all of that. So this is the confidence that his care creates. The good shepherd has met my deepest need for the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God. Therefore, he won't forget my other needs. Now, Notice this long list of blessings then that he guarantees to us. Uh, But before we jump into them in verses 2 to 6, I just want you to see that he's piling up a list of things. And we should say this about that list. These are all good things, but they will not all be experienced at the same time by every believer. I mean... Lying down in green pastures is a different experience than walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So these things may take their turn as blessings in your life. Not all will be experienced at the same time, nor in the same proportion, nor in the highest degree by every believer. Uh, Blessings wait their turn. And so as we get to that valley don't let people tell you that if you just believe in jesus and if he's just your good shepherd that all will be well in every way here and now immediately let's look though at these uh comprehensive illustrations of his care these blessings that he guarantees to us and let me let me highlight them in six ways in the first place what do we have in jesus we have rest in his provision Notice the language here, verse 2 He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, look, sheep need to eat. Green pastures fit the bill. In Israel, green pastures aren't available everywhere all the time. There's the the spring, uh, the winter and spring rainy season where everything is lush. And then there's the summer and fall dry season when you have to find higher pastures for sheep. He knows how to find those pastures so that his sheep may eat to, the, to their full and then lie down relaxed in green pastures. And he leads them, it says, besides quiet or still waters. Sheep, I'm told by others, and I commend uh, Philip Keller's... Um, Book uh, Shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm, but many have commented on these things. Sheep are skittish. Uh, they, they get antsy and anxious about uh, things uh, they're not familiar with. Uh, sheep won't, I'm told, drink from a quickly moving brook, but they need a quiet pool from which to drink so that they don't feel anxious, get nervous, and then refuse to drink. Well, he knows how to provide these things for his sheep. Let me just sort of apply that to us as sheep. Look, there are many things uh, that might make you frantic, nervous, anxious. Maybe it's a scramble to fit in, uh, a frantic need to do well, a search to find your place in life. It can simply suck the joy And life out of you. Chasing those things. Always anxiously fretting. Because you think you are the only one looking out for you. But that isn't the case. The good shepherd is looking out for you. You may say to yourself, if I don't go to every party I'm invited to, I'll never have community. Or if I don't make myself fit in... I'll never have friends, so I need to become somebody I'm not. Or if I don't spend sleepless nights worrying about my career, then the next 50 years of my life will be lost. You don't have to lay awake thinking about the next 50 years of life. Your good shepherd knows what you need. God will provide. And it's interesting here that the psalm, when he gets to the blessings, begins not with our activity, but our rest. Lying down in green pastures, quietly drinking by still waters. This is a good reminder for us that actually the Christian life begins not in our activity for him, but in resting in his activity for us. Not in our doing something for him, but in being provided for by him. Are you resting the care of your soul in this good shepherd? He provides for his people, but not only do you get rest in his provision, you get restoration in your desperation. Notice the language here. He restores my soul. He's thinking of a soul that's out of whack or a soul that's turned upside down in fact again the shepherds here who deal with sheep say he's thinking of, of what they call a cast sheep this is a, uh, this is a sheep that has has eaten its full in the green pastures and drunk its fill at the quiet waters and now it lies down to take a siesta so to speak it gets really comfortable on its side but it's, it's lying down in a Perhaps uh, where there's just a, a little low spot, it, it rolls onto its backside, its legs get up in the air, and then as it happens, a sheep cannot right itself if all of its legs are up in the air. The problem is, having eaten and drunk, uh, gases build up inside it, and unless it is rescued, it will die, and only the shepherd can come along and rescue it. He's thinking of that picture with regard to us. You may find yourself trapped in a pit of your own making, unable to right yourself. Maybe you think you've already screwed up your life so badly there's nobody who could help you. Look, the psalmist is saying God loves to rescue people who have made a mess Of their own lives. And who cannot rescue themselves. He can. You are weak but he is strong. You may sorrow but he can comfort you. You may have sinned badly. But his grace is sufficient for all our sin. Let him hear the voice of your crying. O Lord restore my soul. Well, you get rest, you get restoration. Notice thirdly, you get guidance, guidance in life. He leads me, it says, in paths of righteousness. This is the end of verse two, for his name's sake. Look, there is a translation uh, question here about the proper way to translate uh, paths of righteousness or as uh, some take it right paths or straight paths. I, I go with the view that it's not so much he's thinking that he leads me down paths which are righteous, as much as he is in view, this good shepherd leads me in straight paths, right paths, proper paths, the way that I am to go to get me to the destination that I need. He knows the best route to get me from point A to point B. That path may look crooked to me, but it isn't crooked to him. Think of it uh, like this. He's not so much like a, uh, a map that gives you guidance on where to go. But he's like a uh, guide in the back of a whitewater raft on a class three, four, or five rapids. You don't know anything about what's just under the surface. And you're meandering down the middle of that river having a great time. And suddenly that guide in the back yells, everybody paddle forward on the right. Paddle backwards on the left. He's trying to twist that boat quickly because he knows the river. He knows its dangers. And he knows that the best way to get you safely to where you need to be is to go from point A to B to C to D. Straight paths, proper paths, the right way to go. And why does he do this for his people? He does it not for our name's sake, he says, but for his namesake not based on my merits or my deserving but for his own glory he does this he has wed himself to his bride he has bound himself to his people and he will be honored and glorified in the safe journey and in our coming home to the final destination. And so his reputation is on the line. Now, does that leave the impression if the good shepherd gives you rest and the good shepherd restores your soul and the good shepherd is leading and guiding you to where he would have you go, that all will be well, you'll have no trouble in life, there's no difficulty whatsoever, well, the next line tells you, no, 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 no. Notice the next line. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of deep darkness. So it's not the avoidance of it. Not that there is no trouble, but that he will walk with you in trouble. And so what do you have here? You have protection in danger. That's the fourth thing, protection in danger. You may be asking, Lord, have you led me the wrong way? Because this is a hard place. Well, this is a lonely place. This seems like a dangerous place. I mean, the seasonal passages for sheep from the winter lowlands to the summer highlands would take them through the valley into the mountains and lurking behind the giant rocks and stones and behind every turn there could be wild animals or robbers or those who would seek to do them harm. There may be sudden floods that fill the canyon the shepherd knows about all these things he does not promise you utopia on earth but he promises that both green pastures and valleys of death are both the will of God for his people both the right path for his people the problem of the valley is fear and so the psalmist says but I will fear no evil Not because there's nothing to fear. Not because there are no bad things in life and we should just pretend that all the bad and hard things are really good and easy. He's not commending that. But he is saying that in the midst of those things, what is his comfort, what is his hope, what is his defense and protection? It is you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, many have noted here that the psalmist has actually done a remarkable change in the use of pronouns at this point. Up until this point, he's used the third-person masculine pronoun, he. That is, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. But now in the valley, it turns to second-person familiar, you. You are with me it is the intimacy of his proximity that is the great comfort of this suffering sheep this anxious fearful sheep it's his rod and his staff that comfort it's his club with which he knocks right back the wild animals and the staff by which he hooks his straying sheep and keeps us from falling off the ledge. His vigilance is constant in his protection of his people in the valley of deep darkness. Jonathan Edwards, uh, some of you know him, a great philosopher and theologian, 1700s, went to be a missionary to the Indians in western Massachusetts. And one of his daughters had this recurring nightmare that she was going to be killed by the Indians. And she saw in her dream an arrow coming out of a dark forest and striking her. And Edwards tells the comfort that he gave to his daughter. And then John Gerstner, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, in telling his class about Edwards and Edwards' daughter and that fear, went on to consider that moment, to think about it with his class, uh, to dwell on that dream and to reflect if... If God had ordained that an arrow should strike me down, what should be my attitude to it? If we truly believe that God is the good shepherd, if we truly believe that he provides for us what is best, says Gerstner, then if God has ordained from the foundation of the world that an arrow should strike me in my heart for my good, I wouldn't want to miss it. What do you make of that? Are you so confident in the shepherd's good care and plan for you that even whatever it is that brings about your death and takes you home to glory, not that it's good in itself, but that there is a good intention in the mind and heart and plan of your Father in heaven who loves you, That you want just that for yourself. He is with us in the valley of death. He fifthly gives to us the guarantee of abundance in relationship. Notice it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What's he speaking of? Well actually the metaphor has changed from shepherd and sheep. The metaphor is changed to a host and his guests. A host at a banquet. And at this banquet, you might have expected, knowing that we're the creature and he's the creator, you might have expected that we would play host to him. We would be his servants and he would be the honored guest for us. We would work for him. We would serve him. We would do what needs to be done. But actually the metaphor is reversed. He, the host, serves his guests. That's us. He puts the towel on and he washes the feet of his disciples. That's Jesus in the upper room. He supplies the table for us. He waits on us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. The image there of oil is perhaps thinking of the perfumed oil, which would have made a banquet a more pleasant place uh, for people who were otherwise dry from the brutal dryness of their climate and the heat of the sun and uh, perhaps in need of a covering of perfume. It may be that idea. It may be the idea that sheep get all kinds of bugs in their thick wool And that just irritate their ears, uh, these little things that just trouble them. And the oil poured on the head and smeared into uh, the ears would kill these enemies, these irritants, these uh, things that stand in opposition to your enjoyment of the banquet. And he says, my cup overflows. Oil and wine are both pleasurable luxuries that make life much more enjoyable. Wine here clears the throat. Wine gladdens the heart of man. And his image here is that the cup of wine is filled to the top. It's not short. People uh, will sometimes know that in, in Middle Eastern cultures, this would have been a sign that you, that, uh, that you were a welcome guest and that everything the host had was yours. In other words, the cup isn't filled halfway. Uh, The cup isn't filled partway or even almost to the top. The cup isn't even filled right to the top, but the cup is filled to the top and another drop is added so that it overflows, which was the host's way of saying everything I have is yours. I am lavish. I am generous. Uh, You may have all my possessions. I will spare no expense for you. This is the kind of God we have. He doesn't tease us with tastes he will not ultimately fulfill. And so we may have abundance in relationship with him. And then finally, he says, you may have assurance of future grace. Notice that last line, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the assurance that his sheep may have. Sheep are foolish, foolish creatures. As one put it, no creature will lose itself sooner than a sheep. So apt it is to go astray, and then so unapt to find the way back. But here, even his sheep that stray have two things hunting them goodness and mercy. Mercy here, uh, chesed, uh, covenant love, steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, The the word here, following me, is uh, really the way in English it comes across. It comes across much too weak. It's actually a very strong and active word. Uh, English translators continue to translate it, follow me, because that's the way the King James had it. And this was such a beloved psalm that... Nobody really wants to mess with the beloved King James Version of Psalm 23. But the word he uses for follow here is the word used elsewhere for persecute. It's the word for pursue. It's the word used for hunt me down and get me. So the image is here of a sheep going astray and the shepherd sends his two dogs named Mercy and covenant love after you. To hunt you down and bring you home. And so I want you to beware of marquee theology. You know what marquee theology is. It's when churches put out front some little... What they think is a clever quip. Uh, Those things are usually not true. Sometimes pretty offensive. They certainly don't tell the whole story. Even when... Churches put out in front of the building a Bible quote. Sometimes that Bible quote taken out of context. Sometimes that Bible quote is wielded like a club. You just need to be careful about marquee theology. Now, some marquee theology is worse than others. When I lived in Fayetteville and I was pastoring university students at the University of Arkansas, I drove by a church every day that had a marquee that said this, God is as faithful to you as you are to him. Now I wonder if a cold shiver just went down your spine when you heard that. I hope it did. That ought to make you fear with trembling that you would have a God who would only be as faithful to you as you are to him. Know the Bible says God is unchangingly faithful to his people. Though you and I are fickle. And though we go astray like lost sheep. Goodness and loving kindness hunt us down all the days of our lives. So that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's great news from Jesus who cares for our souls. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father, thank you for your beloved Son, our Savior. We pray that you would help us to know him, rest in him, receive from him, be blessed by him, and lean upon him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and say,